Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Okay, everybody, here we go with our new hit record, Sugar, Sugar. It was 50 years ago this month. That song was topping the pop charts. Uh, A song from, well, I guess a cartoon band, the Archies. But it became a monster hit. And it wasn't just the Archies that did that song. Tina Turner did that song. Yeah, Tom Jones also did that song. Sugar, ooh, honey, honey, you are my candy girl, and you've got me wanting you. And just bringing it all full circle, the TV show Riverdale did their own version of the song just recently. So there's something timeless about it. Singer-songwriter Andy Kim really struck gold when he penned that song. Had his own number one hit that year. uh, And many more hits after that. Andy Kim, 30 million records sold. Over half a billion streams on Spotify and YouTube. In fact, he has an album out right now. It's called It's Decided. This Sunday, it's been decided. He is going to join the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. Is going to be celebrating an event Sunday at Studio Bell. I'm at the National Music Center right here in Calgary. And right here in Calgary is where we find the one and only Andy Kim. He is in studio with us. Andy, so great to have you with us here. How are you doing? I'm having a great time. I'm having a great life. And everything that I ever dreamed of has finally kind of happened. I mean, to be part of... Uh, this uh, Canadian Music Hall of Fame is uh, pretty cool to be along, along people like uh, you know Oscar Peterson and yeah. um, Percy Faith, guys that were there before us. You know, I mean, for an artist, there are a lot of ways of getting that kind of vindication, right? Where you you feel as though you're doing something that that matters, that impacts people. Uh, I mean, that can be through record sales. That can be just you know the reaction from fans, the the reaction from your peers. These kinds of of honors and awards. I mean, how how do you try to you know make sense of of what it all means and and you know in in, in the big picture in terms of the impact you've had? Um, well, I don't know how to answer it. Um, I don't know how to give you a straight answer. Yeah. Um, I know I feel honored. Sure, yeah. But the truth is I wrote those songs for myself. Yeah. And I made those records and was very excited and happy when those records were made. After you make a record and you put it out, it's in the hands of the gods. Right. 
So the fact that people went out and actually bought my music and gave me a life beyond the reality that I was in mm-hmm. is so incredibly beautiful that I, I don't know how to take a bow for it. Is that right? Yeah. Because the truth is, um, I did it for myself. Only because as a songwriter and as a recording artist, um, you're hoping to do the best thing you can, you the, the best creation you can um, for you and, and, and for your producer and or the record company. I never think of the audience of, as having a responsibility yeah. to like anything I've done. <laughs> right. And they have showered me with so many wonderful, you know, gold records and stuff. So I, I don't know if I've answered that question because it's a difficult one to wrap my head around. Well, it is. And I mean, it, it, it is, as you say, an, an honor. Um, you know, the, the idea that, you know, we're, we're acknowledging everything you've done. We're, we're enshrining you alongside these, these other grades. Yeah, I mean, what what can you say to that other than you know, thank you, thank you very much, right? Yeah, I, you know what, uh, you, I, I think we all start out with the same dream. We all start out with you want to be a musician, you want to be um, uh, something that gratifies your whole life. You know, Mark Twain said the two most important days of your life: the day you are born and the day you find out why. <laughs> and I like so. That, yeah. I found out why as a kid, and I think musicians who gravitate towards an instrument or want to be in a band, they're maybe inspired by other bands before them. But I think it I kind of happens in, in, in the embryotic stage of your life where what is all this about? And I think um, the adoration... If you're looking for the adoration or in today's world, are you looking for friends on Facebook or Instagram or mm-hmm. however that works? It's a false foundation. The right. only way you can really have a solidified one is basically to create something that people want to listen to. And I guess to create something that, that you want to listen to or to create something that, that you're proud of. Right. Ultimately, as you say, you, you write those songs for yourself. It's yeah. going to mean something to you. Absolutely. I, I th- because it's it's a reflection of who you are. Um, look, th- there are there are people that will sit in a room and, and uh, it's a job. Sure. You know, um, so, oh, you got to write something that sounds like this and goes like this and goes like that. So you can you can put those pieces together, cut and paste. Yeah. And you can write something. Um, but. And you also have to be creative. And there are some incredible songwriters that that were not recording artists. I mean, you got Lieber and Stoller that wrote Hound Dog and <laughs> Jailhouse Rock for Elvis, etc. Um, so on on my end, um, yeah, I went to New York City uh, from Montreal um, as a kid, basically, right? Just trying to find if there was anything into the about this dream that I had. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't so much a dream. There was a, I started to, rib, sorry, to live the reality of it all. So when I got there and I was lucky enough to meet uh, Jeff Barry, who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, just an absolute incredible songwriter and producer, um, there was someone who 
heard me, felt that there was something about me that was not schooled musician, there was not someone who played gigs on the weekend. I was just a kid from Montreal that went to a parochial school that showed up with a shirt and tie <laughs> and a jacket yeah. and the guitar. Um, and here we are, 50, well, 51 years later, because how do we ever get this way it was in 68. But I don't, I can't put it all together. I mean, I look back on it and people ask me about, how did you feel? I said, well, you know, that's a long time ago. I can't tell you how I felt. I was not courageous. I was just a teenager. That's what it was. Right, which must have been terrifying, I would imagine. I was completely out of, out of place, you know? Because um, when someone tells you they like it, but fix the second and third verse or the third and fourth in this particular, uh, I, I had no idea. I learned everything I learned from being in the Brill Building. There's a Netflix uh, documentary out next year about the Brill oh, Building. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Um, and then you get to meet a lot of people, and, 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 and their lives intertwine with yours, and you get inspired, and, and you get better, and you spend time understanding what it is that you can bring. Um, but it, it, look, I'm an adult thinking and talking about what was then <laughs> you know i i'd lie to my mother i would call and she'd pick up the phone <laughs> tell me how i was doing I said, having a great time uh, yeah i know what i'm doing and but you know i had no idea everybody was better than i was which is a great way to start well if you don't let it get you i mean that that can eat you alive and a lot of people can succumb to that right but if you take it as a challenge or you take it as a learning opportunity yeah. it can be something beautiful yeah i always took it as a gift look rob i'm i'll be honest with you i'm you're spending your heartbeats with me right now mm -hmm. i always believe that um when you're born you're given a certain amount of heartbeats you're not getting them back i don't care if you go to the gym or you <laughs> you run the 25k or whatever it is that, right. that, that that's going on Bottom line is there are a certain amount of heartbeats. And if you, are, if you recognize that fact, then you realize that you're not going to get those back. As I walk out of here, you're not going to get those back. So you may as well be doing what you want to do with the people that yeah. you love. And if you have a problem with some people, make it quick. Yeah. And um, so for me, there was a whole bunch of other things that influenced my life. Um, th that kept me sane at that time. Because I was, I was n in no way the league of Phil Spector and Jeff Barry and Ellie Greenwich and mm -hmm. Liebren Stoller and Goffin and King and Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil. Um, but I was lucky enough to be a part of them, and I was lucky enough to deliver. Yeah. Uh, but it was 50 years this month, in fact, that Sugar Sugar... Hit number one. Yeah. Uh, was the number one song for 1969. It's been covered many times since then. In fact, the, the TV show Riverdale, they, they did a version of it just, what, a year or two ago. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's remarkable how much that song still resonates with people, is, is, still, is still meaningful. And, and, you know, for what seems to some people like a you know, straightforward kind of pop song, 
it's something much more. It's, it's really fascinating to me. Well, it's fascinating to me, too. I mean, um, um, people have al- always heard me say, um, I never take a bow for inspiration. Mm-hmm. So you get a phone call, any song, you got any songs for the Archies? Like, what are minutes, the Archies? <laughs> yes. And then 10 minutes later, you write this song. And, and luckily, there was a, uh, I had this great, great Sony cassette player that made everything I did sound like a hit. I was the greatest <laughs> acoustic guitar player on the planet. I mean, there was some kind of a condenser mic, and my vocals sounded great when I was writing. But, but at the end of the day, I had, there was a mechanism that captured inspiration. Mm-hmm. And um, you never know, because the truth is, in 1969, May 24th, Baby I, um, Baby I Love You hit the charts for the first time. Yeah. May 24th, 1969, same day, Sugar Sugar came out. But Sugar Sugar didn't get on the charts till July. Oh, really? Because no one wanted to play it. Really? <laughs> because it was a pop song. It was a song that was unlike what underground music was playing, which is now FM radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was Woodstock, you know, the doors, yeah. and, you know, I am you know, just absolutely... Um, songs that needed to have meaning. Um, you know, we went to the moon. The Beatles were breaking up on the roof. Yeah. Um, so many important things going on. And it took an independent promotion man, um, went to a radio station in San Francisco and kind of played it blindly and the programmer loved it. When he heard it was the Archies, he said, I can't play it. And he begged them <laughs> right. to play it one time. Yeah. And it, like, traveled the world. Here we are 50 years later, and it's... And people ask me, well, how did you do it, and why did you write it? I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I want to be, be forthright and smart about it. It just came. Mm-hmm. And I think the value in... Also being a songwriter or a creator is to understand when something comes and you can make it yours. Um, So I I just think it brings a lot of joy no matter where I travel and have traveled throughout the world. Um, I start singing that song. All all I sing is sugar (laughs) and everyone else for the whole two minutes and 30 seconds sing that song. Do you wish that that had been your song? Never. <laughs> no? No. I, I think that, that I don't... Look, I had Baby, I Love You. That was mm-hmm. going to be my first million seller. I, I, was, I, I, was, I was traveling a, a road um, that was going to take me wherever it took me. But I, I just... I never... When, when I started writing it, I never thought that that song's for me. Oh, really? Right from the beginning? From the beginning, only because consciously I knew that I was writing for Betty and Veronica and Jughead and Reggie (laughs) and Archie. So so that was my mindset. So it allowed me to be freer. Because if I were writing it for a band, I would, or another artist or myself, okay, so what am I trying to say here? And why is this? And, and, there's more, th- there's more pre-thought sometimes, 
but this was so pr- freeform. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling. I I don't understand it. All I know is that people feel great when they hear the song. Oh, absolutely. Uh, as you say, I mean, 1969 was such a significant year in so many ways. But for you, I mean, this really this is the the year your life changed, isn't it? Absolutely. I am. You know, it it just um, I I was. I was then baptized a songwriter. Right. I mean, after um, uh, Ike and Tina Turner recorded it and um, Wilson Pickett and the great Bob Marley, everybody started to respect that song. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, there was a, you know, we don't, well, it's, what is it? What is it? It's bubblegum. And I, I always had an aversion to that thought. Um, but they came, those three artists came and rescued me and put me in a different slot, I think. I mean, in terms of that era and the people then you're kind of mingling with, associating with, working with, I mean, Elvis, you, you met Elvis, the Beatles were still around. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough after Rock Me Gently. Um, I mean, that was, that was kind of a parallel move to, um, uh, to Sugar Sugar. I mean, it's five years later. Uh, I don't have a label. I write a song. I play it for a couple of people. They're they're ambivalent, but I really love this song. I don't have a record label or a producer. So, if you're watching this movie and you see this artist who had had success and then there was nothing and he wrote this song and no one wanted to produce it, no one wanted to put it out, so he said, well... I'm going to be the artist. I'm going to I am the songwriter. I'm going to be the artist. I'm going to be the producer and I'm going to put it down on my own label. Mm-hmm. And if you freeze frame that, the thought is poor guy. <laughs> Cuz he's, you know, he is beyond his last minute, last 2 minutes and 30 seconds, you know. Yeah. Um so I never I never listened to no in my life. I only listened to what's in my heart and in and in this this fantasy world, dream world that I'm living in. Um, and I really believed in the song enough to know that that I can do this. And um, and it's ironic that September 29th, um, uh, 1974, uh, Rock Me Gently uh, hit number one. Yeah. And, the, and Ar- the Archies hit number one and stayed for four weeks, but... It's, I don't know. I, I, I look back on it now and I think about, well, how did that happen? Because yeah. you, you have so many emotions on the way there, you know, mm-hmm. self-doubt and stuff. Well, and, yeah, it's fascinating, too, because, you know, for all the success in the 60s and 70s and, and all the success you've had over the last 15 or 20 years, you know, and you, you've talked about that kind of lean period, the, the 80s, the 90s. How do you, how do you describe what what that time was like for you well it was a good time yeah i was i'm basically you know uh, there's that great saying born round do not die square mm-hmm. so i was born happy i was born with the ability to to fight whatever battle i needed to fight with because i believed in something if you're always fighting for something that's pure and just i think you will succeed if you if there's an ulterior motive then you're going to have a hard time. Um, and when my time was up, uh, it, was, it was okay. Um, 
I mean, there are periods where I recorded some things along the way in in the 80s and 90s, but but nothing really, really grabbed hold until um, Ed Robertson and I wrote a song, and and I didn't have a producer, so he said he'd produce it, and then there was no label, so I said I'd put it out anyway, and uh, yeah. and it gave me that second chapter in my life, but. Um, I became, and and I'm, I'm not shy to say it. I became irrelevant, and it's okay. I'm not the first person that has had hits and had a downturn, and you know you can you can silently tour Europe and do that kind of right. stuff. But after a while, you you smile, and you know I'm a great cook. <laughs> I love to garden. Yeah. So I got a lot of good things out of the downtime. <laughs> um, but it is the, the, the two edges of that sword. I mean, uh, you know, an industry that allows you to, to create, to, to get so much joy from that, but it, it's a cruel business too. It can be very unforgiving. Well, you know what? No one's responsible for you. Right. No one is responsible. You know, I think that if you, if you go around blaming people, I think you just have to revisit the thought process. Mm-hmm. Um, I never, I was, when people initially started playing and buying How'd We Ever Get This Way, which I still love as a song, um, I didn't know that that audience was there. They were doing me a favor. And and on and on, whether it's Shoot 'em Up Baby or Baby I Love You or all the other baby songs I had in <laughs> Rock Me Gently. Right. They were doing me a favor, and the fact that someone else showed up to take my place—that's fine. I'm—I mm-hmm. don't. Nobody owns your future. Yeah, you know, that's you, very nobody, true. nobody is responsible for you. You just do the best you can. Yeah, and be happy that you're—you've been allowed to do it. I think there's a misconception, especially in a in a in a generation that is not built on a, a foundation of of who you are before you get there, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, look, I was extremely lucky and blessed to have been working with Jeff Barry and the kind of people in the Brill Building that um, um, that didn't lead me astray. I mean, yeah. the late 60s were, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, yeah, and so I was lucky. I was one of the lucky ones that... Uh, uh, people took care of me. I, I think they just, I don't know, they just felt we need to take care of this Canadian, you know. Yeah. Uh, you got an album out right now. It's decided. I mean, clearly you haven't lost the love for writing songs, performing songs. Is, is, does, it, is it, does it still feel the same way that it felt 50 years ago? Um, you know, writing songs, um, the album is, it's decided because I really think it's decided. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a clear view of, okay, you know, no matter what I do, it's it's kind of decided. Yeah. I'm I'm not giving it up, but I think that there are certain. Your life is kind of, um, well, there's a map, and you may you may deviate from that map, but there's kind of a way if you believe in the spiritual angels that have helped you all this time. I think anyone who has the kind of success I had uh, coming from 
um, the relationship of life that I had, I find it hard to um, to believe that um, you own it. And um, so just traveling that life and seeing it um, to land on the doorstep of working with Ed Robertson or working with Kevin Drew of Broken Social Scene, um, that to me is a gift. I had no idea there was a need for another Andy Kim album, and he said yes. Yeah. And and I visited his world. I wasn't looking to recreate anything I'd done, and uh, and that's the beautiful thing. There's there's a um, there's a generation of artists that um, you know have turned to me and and um, asked to work with me, and um, I'm I'm just honored. I don't know if I'm really that good enough to help them, but but it <laughs> seems so. that there's something going on. You know? Yeah. So in that sense, I mean, do you, do you think about retirement? Do you think about, okay, at some point I'm, I'm going to stop doing this? Or is this just, you know, this is what you do. This is who you are. This is what you love. I have no known skills. Just, just <laughs> well, you can a, cook. You, <laughs> I do cook, but, but probably I can't open up a restaurant no, or, you know, or a nursery. And um, No, um, look, what, what is the best thing you can ever have someone that tell you and that is that i love doing what i'm doing yeah so there may be not be an audience for me anymore or my audience have you know gone into a home or they're they're not listening anymore or whatever um that's fine i mean the fact that you showed up once upon a time i love you for it Mm -hmm. um the fact that I'm continuing to write and be vital, uh, albeit with with artists of this generation, that's a gift, you know. And so, um, look, I, I'm look my my memory hard drive is kind of full, <laughs> right. and so um, th- there may come a time where I I won't remember. Uh, Rob, <laughs> but I'm not there yet, you know. Well, that's good. I appreciate that. Uh, much more, by the way, andykimmusic.com. Uh, and, of course, this Sunday at the National Music Center uh, is the big event. Uh, Andy Kim, congratulations uh, on all the success. And uh, I, I got to say, it's been a real honor talking to you here today. I really appreciate you coming in. Well, it's it's really cool. You know, I, I came in, uh, It's this thing is happening on Sunday, and... Uh, I wanted to take the time today to see if you were around to say some words and we can have a conversation. So thank you for that. That worked out. Yeah. <laughs> Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.